I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Laura Ketzel. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Principal Analyst Dan Beeler and VP and Research Director James McQuivy to discuss how navigating skill clusters is crucial for leaders' talent management strategy in Europe. Welcome both. Thank you. Thanks. So, what exactly do we mean by skill clusters in this context, in in this body of research, Dan? Well, it's a really a, a simple kind of definition that we're using for the purpose of this rec- um, report. It's an area, it's a region, in this case, specifically a city plus the surrounding region, where certain skills and abilities and knowledge are available And we looked at the availability of particular skills that are helpful to build digital teams, to support agile teams. And so in a a way, it's a, a very simple term to describe the availability of these skills in a particular area, in this case, a city. Got it. So Dan, can you talk about what the landscape is like for the European business and technology leaders who need to tap into those skill clusters right now? Is the market really hot? Is it really cold? What do things look like? Or can you not generalize across the whole region? Well, the region is extremely fragmented, if you like. There are areas where skill clusters are very strong, in particular the Nordics. But then there are areas where it's very hard to find the skills that are required for creating digital teams, for creating these agile teams, for many reasons. But it's definitely a very fragmented market, if you like. If you are after these skills, then you need to look carefully where to find them. And also, of course, um, there's a big difference between large cities where you might not have the densest clustering of these hot skills, if you like. But because the cities are very large, you still find sufficient access to the talent that you do need. Oh, and that reminds me of a clarification we should probably issue, which is the scope of this research in Europe. Because from what I remember, it's Western European countries and European Union members, right? Correct. And so we we did look at Western Europe, the Nordic, Southern Europe, and Eastern European countries that are part of the EU, and really um, focused on this particular segment of the market. So is this, I mean, you, in your definition, Dan, you sort of uh, approach this as this concept is pretty basic. The definition is quite basic, but is this, is this new or gaining traction? Are we looking at the, this concept differently now, given market dynamics. Why, essentially, why are we having this conversation right now? It's clearly a very hot topic in terms of the scarcity of skills that are required. This has been ramping up as the dynamics of digitization are increasing. And in this respect, it's very important for business leaders, for tech leaders to know where to look for these skills. And the pandemic has intensified this need. We see that the role of remote working, of anywhere working, has increased significantly. You need people to support these new infrastructures. Um, Cloud computing has taken off very significantly. Um, 
commerce has shifted very much more into the online space and all companies now get it. You need to move into the digital space. No company can stay outside it. And so the demand for these skills is definitely going up. But we did not look only at digital skills as part of the study. We also looked at soft skills. So skills that are important to complement the technology and digital skills. But it's the combination of these different skill types that is really essential to create um, on the one hand, the, the digital familiarities that pretty much all employees need these days, not just the tech experts, plus the increasing role that issues such as empathy play to think differently how you want to engage with customers, how you want to enhance employee experiences and the likes. So it's this combination of these, these two skill sets that we looked at, in addition to factors that touch on the educational levels in addition to factors out of the economic realm where we look at um, pricing levels, living standards, um, issues that concern also degrees of um, corruption, so the transparency elements here. And of course, there is an uh, important element that touches on the labor law regulation, in particular, the freedom to move labor around and to employ people who might be based in different countries or who migrate within the EU um, or between the EU and EU countries. That makes it much easier to, to tap into different skill sets that are not necessarily um, directly um, available in your location. Dan, I'm glad that you added those points about the variety of things that you measured in these cities. That's what impressed me most about this research effort is the the scope. And, and I think that suggests something. You know, a lot of people, when they hear skills, they hear talent issues, they think, oh, you're talking about this current moment of challenges with talent as a result of the pandemic. And of course, that is part of it. And, and, and we have to care about that. But if, if that was all that mattered, then it would simply be, okay, find a database that lists how many people have the exact explicit skill you need right now in that city and hire them. Done. What Dan's work has done here and, and what's so impressed me about it is that they said, no, actually, there is a longer term arc to this story. We, we can't just solve this by, you know, with some signing bonuses to try and bring talent to our door. Really, there is a very large demographic shift that's been ongoing in Europe for uh, over a decade. And in our forecast uh, that Michael O'Grady at Forrester just recently published at the beginning of the year, which is the future of jobs forecast for Europe. We see very clearly those demographics are going to contribute to scarcity of labor, scarcity of the workforce in specific areas, specific skills, and that's going to continue. So uh, it, we're not just talking about, oh, how do I find software devs? How do I find cloud experts? Which, of course, we need to do that, too. But we need to find people who are ready to adapt, people who are willing to take up what their organization is going to try to offer them in terms of skills acquisition. And we need to do it in a complex environment, which Dan described there as, you know, rules between who can work in what country for comp uh, companies that are in a different country. All of that complexity is in this model. And I think that's what people uh, maybe coming to this hearing, oh, skills clusters, that's just trying to find people that know how to do X job. Not at all. There is a long term strategy here of how do I find the people who 
have or could have and are willing to have and act on the skills that we're going to need today, five years in and beyond. So Dan, if we think about all those factors that you put into this analysis, not just that, as James said, we're not just talking about how do I find software engineers and the sort of most common questions that one tends to hear. Uh, talk to us a little bit about which cities in the, the European region that we're covering here offer people the most skills cluster possibilities and why? Sure. So if we look at the top 10 best skill clusters, so to speak, we see that the Nordics are strongly represented. Helsinki um, leads the pack, followed by Stockholm, Copenhagen. And then we move into Central Europe. So Berlin, Hamburg, followed again by one Nordic um, city, Oslo, then on to Munich, Vienna, Zurich, and Amsterdam. The reasons um, why these particular skill clusters are so high are various. But in general, these countries have good educational levels. So STEM, STEM subjects are um, widely taken up by students. These um, countries have a very knowledgeable um, workforce in technology, not just um, the IT type of technology, but high-tech manufacturing. They have um, a very good social structure where living standards are um, very high, where you have free movement of labor into EU countries, uh, um, a very solid um, structure in terms of political um, organizations and um, business structures, so low degrees of um, um, corruption. And um, importantly, the soft skills are also quite strong. So communication skills, um, problem-solving skills, um, English as a um, business language is, is a very high level. And so it's the combination of these different skills that really matters. In particular, of course, the Nordics stick out here quite significantly. And you can turn it around as well. So the, the country the, or the cities that have not done so well, they, they scored fairly low on most of these issues. So in, in other words, um, it is not necessarily good enough to have low wages in a particular country that makes it attractive um, to tap into certain skills and skill sets and skill clusters. You need to have a much broader perspective on, um, you know, the, the, the kind of skills that you need to tap into that takes into account um, not just the, the economic aspects, but the, the broader picture that I described before with the soft skills, with the educational level, um, with uh, the expertise in high technology manufacturing and the like. So it's, it's a fairly complex model that we used, but it's exactly for the reason to ensure that we cover the broader types of skill sets and expertise level that are required to, to succeed in the jobs that are emerging in the future. Dan, your comment makes me think about a question that I have been meaning to ask you. So, hey, while we're here, I'll ask. Um, I had always imagined that when your model would 
come out, we'd find that, oh, okay, you know, some cities you can just make a trade-off. You get these pluses, but you have these minuses, and that that would be part of the analysis coming out of it. Um, I, I'm sure that's true to some degree, but it sounds like overall, these factors tend to correlate together. Is is that really the case? So if I were, if I were you know, a mayor or uh, some kind of leader in one of these cities, is the message to me you know, you can't just emphasize one of these buttons. You've got to push as many of these buttons at the same time because they all rise together. Or or are there regions where you can just say, no, here, if you work here, you'll just get these five things and you'll miss these five things. Uh, no, you know, it's a very good question. And I believe you're right. It's not sufficient to just focus on teaching everybody maths or so. You need to also make sure that the other factors are taken into account that you um, train people in soft skills, that you ensure that living standards are attractive for larger sections sections of the population, that um, issues around corruption are kept under control. It's the combination. If you look at the granular um, scoring that we provided for the model, the, the winning cities are very solid across the board. It's not that they are very good in in one area and then not so good in other areas. They are very good in all areas. And on the flip side, um, it's, as I said, not good enough to just be very attractive, say, from a um, low-wage level perspective. If you don't succeed in the other areas that we evaluated, it's simply not uh, a highly attractive skill cluster as we define it. It's almost like you have, you're measuring the presence of skills, and then you're measuring whether those skills are going to be accessible, whether they are going to have friction in their deployment, either you know because of the local environment or the additional skills the person needs. So I, that's interesting for me to think of it that way because I, you know, in the work we do in the future of work team, we're often talking about you know a single organization. And they're looking within their organization for pockets. I won't say clusters, so I don't confuse the issue, but you know, pockets of certain kinds of skills. And I think within an organization, when we do employee experience surveys in a, in a single organization, it's similar. We, we don't find you know, a team that's really good on these five things and awful on these other five things. You tend to find that these things correlate. And, and how appropriate is that in our environment where, as you say, you can't just come in and know your math or know your engineering. You have to communicate what it is you know. You have to work with other people who may know different things than you. And that seems to be the modern workforce, which I guess we probably could have intuited from our own experience or our experience with clients, but your model really lays that out. Yeah. And, and another way to look at it is that we are not highlighting the best places for low labor in the manufacturing space or so. This is not sweatshop detection. This is trying to find people with skills that are important for the modern business. And we all know that you need a broad set of skills that you need to bring to the table to succeed in modern business. And it also means that the people who live in these cities need to have the right framework to to stay there and to to grow in terms of their skill capabilities because of course all of us we will have to evolve and that's where the, the broader framework comes in that it needs to support the people who are in these attractive skill set 
type of locations. And these skill sets have to evolve over time as well. That's why the, the picture is holistic and comprehensive. So to follow up on that a bit, because the combination of kind of STEM education and and sort of English proficiency as a business language, those seem reasonably straightforward to measure. The thing that I found really interesting about the, this work was that you found a way to measure the softer skills that are not just, you know, does a lot, do a lot of people speak English to a high level and have they received the right kind of educational qualifications. So can you talk a little bit about how you modeled and how you quantified those factors knowing that they were so important for the totality of the picture that we're trying to bring to light of these various skill clusters? Sure. So some of the softer skills certainly will have to do with the ability to work with other people, right? And so it's one thing to measure communication skills and also problem-solving skills, and there's data available for this. But if you look at diversity, you have to look at the percentage of women working in particular roles. So we took this into account. We also said, look, diversity has a different connotation where it's about intercultural understanding. And we looked at what percentage of students are spending some time in the different country um, with the Erasmus program, for instance, which is this EU student exchange program. And we took several of these mosaic stones into account to create a picture that um, presents uh, a clearer perspective on what type of soft skills are there in these different locations to, to enrich the, the picture overall and move away from the, the pure focus, say, on STEM subject students. Got it. And so with all of this information that you've given, because I think we the, the research covers like 50 city regions in that European universe. Is that right? That's correct. So now, so if I'm a if I'm a business leader or a tech leader reading this research and going, okay, great. Now I know what the top 10 are. I know what the next 10 are. I can think about how to expand my portfolio of skills and where in these in the various bits of, of Europe that I want to do that. What do I do next? Sure. So there are a whole range of issues that um, one can do and should do. First of all, if you are a business leader, you should, you should definitely spend some time on understanding which skills are most in demand in the years ahead in your particular area, your particular sector, business, depending on also the emerging um, customer expectations and demand. You need to certainly adjust your talent management, your HR strategies, and your teams in general to this idea of embracing lifelong learning so that you can enrich and enhance and grow the skill set within your organization over time because it will always change. You need to take into account that based on this lifelong learning, if you start to hire new people, Look also at their willingness, their ability, their desire to learn new skills over time going ahead. Therefore, you should also look at attributes and character traits that support this curiosity. Let's call it curiosity for the um, discussion here. And 
clearly, once you're moving in this type of direction, then it helps to also take the concept of inclusion and diversity very seriously. Two different components here. Diversity um, is probably easier to tackle in terms of uh, matching certain quotas that you set yourself. Um, inclusion is very much about creating the right platform, the culture, the management style to make people comfortable to express new, fresh ideas. Um, the physical office is also not to be underestimated because the physical office will have to change into a place where you meet your colleagues so that you can collaborate more, that you can create and experiment more rather than just sit there and um, spend your time doing things on your own between nine and five. So physical office redesign is very important. And we talked about the need to strengthen digital skills. This is more important clearly for some cities than others or businesses in some cities than in others. There are areas in, in Europe where it is really quite shocking how low the ratio is of people with basic digital skills. And so you need to expect to train large segments of your workforce about the, the key digital skills that are required in your business. And therefore, the in-house skill training facilities need to be ramped up more. And we also see that it is not just um, the classic um, digital skills that need to be taught, but also concepts around agile um, working and um, human-centric design, not just for people who are directly involved in product and service design, but to more employees in general. Because if we want to move into a world where companies are delivering um, value propositions based on services and experiences more, then you need to think through the eyes of the customer more and more and across many different layers of the organization. So human-centric design thinking needs to reach large segments of the, the workforce. And of course, what always helps is if you're getting involved in the broader discussions on a societal basis, how educational systems should evolve. Because currently we see that many educational systems are still fairly um, static. Um, they, they could definitely um, benefit enormously from a greater emphasis on experimentation and real practice learning. Um, that's where some countries um, offer interesting um, ideas how education can be changed, the apprenticeship programs, which is a dual form of education where you have 50% formal education combined with 50% learning on the job. Um, often in a manufacturing context is an interesting option. And of course, immigration has been and always will be an important part of the puzzle. It's it's one important um, possibility for you to um, open up to new types of skill sets that might come your way from other places, um, either within Europe or the planet overall. Dan, one of the themes across your comments there that I'm hearing, and I like hearing it, so I just want to call it out, is is training. Training not as, the way I'm hearing it, and you tell me if I'm hearing it right, training not as, okay, you have a job to do, and now I have to give you the skills to do that job. 
you're talking about training that essentially elevates that person's capacity. They become, yes, more able to do the current job for which they have been hired and they're being paid. But, you know, in our model, we, we often talk about the future of jobs as a no more jobs future where you're not hired to do a specific set of things, but you're hired because you bring certain skills which the organization can draw on. And by giving the employee more of those skills, they now have more opportunities to create value in the organization. And this is so interesting because we still, it's sad to say, we still hear from executives when we talk about training and in their mind, they say, oh, okay, we have a training program for that. And we say, no, we're talking about training people to equip them to be all of these things you know, that your model uh, encapsulates. And they say, well, and this happens rarely, but it still happens, believe it or not. They'll say, well, but if we just invest in them and then they go take their skills to, to work for somebody else. And you just, you just, your heart sort of collapses in that moment when you realize that this is someone who doesn't realize the value of the people that are walking in, you know, physically or virtually uh, to their organization every day and, and saying, well, I'm going to be stingy. I'm going to withhold the skills that I could be giving you and now, hopefully your model helps more and more of these kinds of leaders realize like, oh, goodness, if I the more I give these people, the more they can give back, the more value they experience. And that's one thing that our uh, employee experience research shows very, very clearly skills utilization predicts engagement at work. It's one of the top one of the top drivers. So give people more skills so they can be even more engaged and then, you know, then reap all of these benefits that your model is trying to encourage people to go after. I couldn't agree more with you. You're so right, um, James. And it, it, you're essentially, you're, you're touching on the core of the, the talent challenge, which is a cultural one, a cultural transformation to empower employees more, to make them realize that it's also up to them to um, train themselves and um, ask for the, the training that should be offered to them to benefit not only themselves, but to contribute to their business and also their career. So it's this, this combination of having um, the, the framework of the management as a coach, as a trainer who supports the, the employees in getting better at what is required. And what is required, of course, is changing depending on the customer demand and the market developments that um, we see. But you're absolutely right that at the core of it, there is very much this need for a cultural transformation that must be part of any kind of talent management initiative. I love that this is a tool to change the mindset, though. You, we, you can't just expect mindset to change overnight. You need to be putting tools in place to, to assist with this. And I think this is a great example of using the data and research available to give our clients a tool to make this change. Absolutely. It's key to change the mindset about skills. What is a skill? How do you upgrade a skill? How do you um, enhance the skills that you have to, it's like anything like once talent doesn't drop off the sky, you, you, you might have some talent for certain things, but it's up to you to figure out where your talent lies. Your manager can help you to find it, but you have to really believe in this self-initiative to 
find the the talent that you do have and then the training is there to to enhance the talents that you bring to the table and then we move really into a space where the notion of employee experience and satisfaction gains a completely new and much stronger momentum which of course in turn then should help to drive better customer experiences Dan, I'm hoping this isn't a gotcha question to put you on the spot, but I'm really curious, you as a person who's worked in Europe for most of your life and who's really knowledgeable about the digital sector, you probably walked into this research with some assumptions about which city or regional areas would fare really well and which wouldn't. Were there any results that really surprised you? Either where you said, "Oh wow, I had no idea there were that le- there was that level of skill in the- that place or those places," or the reverse, where some place that you assumed would fare quite well actually turned out not to be as attractive as you would have thought before you did all of this very deep research. The leading skill clusters didn't completely surprise me. We all know that. The Nordics are doing pretty well on all sorts of scores. Living standards, um, educational levels are very high. Corruption levels are low. This is kind of common knowledge, which did surprise me somewhat, is Southern Europe, in particular Italy, which did not perform well. And it's strange because you have fantastic businesses there. You have highly educated people. But if you drill down a little bit more, why they they scored so poorly, and obviously this is um, objective data, it's not something that we interpreted or so, then you realize that the the skills in Italy are quite um, distinguished in terms of those people who are highly educated and those who are not. So in other words, um, there are large segments of society that don't seem to have access to the skills that are required. They might have different skills, but not the kind of skills that we focused on. And actually, the the Italian government has noticed this as well, and there are dedicated programs now in place to exactly address this issue. But this did come as a surprise that, that Italy, which is such a strong industrial nation, had such relatively... Uh, such a relatively poor performance in terms of the skills that we looked at. Thank you both for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was great um, talking to you all. Absolutely a pleasure. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.